0: Greetings, listeners. This is producer and part time host Troy, just interjecting into the start of this particular episode. You may or may not have noticed there hasn't been a new episode of Geeking Off the Page in quite some time. That has been due to a mixture of both technical and schedule difficulties. However, this week we are presenting the missing episodes, starting with this particular episode that was originally recorded the weekend of April 1st, 2023. Enjoy! In a world overrun with an infinite amount of multiverses originating from a plethora of sources. A group of longtime friends band together and try to make sense of it all and present it to an audience in an easy to digest podcast. This is Geeking Off the Page.
1: Greetings geeks, welcome to another episode of Geeking Off the Page. I'm Mike, and with me is Hey, I'm Trevor. And the other guys they're doing strange things with
2: dwarves apparently. Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure but whatever they do on their own time is their own business especially with dwarves. Anyways, uh so we have we missed an episode uh, mainly because schedule conflicts and whatnot. So we have a fair amount to catch up on. Um I think we're going to start with Baruto because I know you're just dying Mike. I can see it in your face. You're
1: just dying. So Hit me. Yeah, Bruto's dead. And then he's alive again. Yeah. So, anyways, it's really interesting. What happened last week is Bruto and Kawaki had this agreement because Bruto's uh possessed by this evil alien shinobi spirit, and he's the vessel for that spirit. And the spirit's trying to finish the karma so that he can regenerate. And so, Bruto and Kawaki, his stepbrother, essentially, would it be step? No, it wouldn't be stepbrother, adopted brother. Adopted brother. Yeah. They have an agreement that if anything goes wrong, Kawaki will kill him. It's like, because he's like, he doesn't want to hurt Leaf Village. He doesn't want to hurt his father. And for Kawaki, he's. Basically, he had a tormented childhood. He's been abused all his life, been basically sold off by his father, been tortured by Ishiki, who kidnapped him and gave him the karma to become a vessel. So he's basically just spare parts. And the Leaf Village is the first place where he actually felt at home. And Ruto is the first person who actually treated him like a human. So he sees him as his father. And he says he will do nothing, or he will not let anybody do anything to harm the seventh Hokage. It's like, I will kill anybody who decides to harm the Hokage. And because Boruto's possessed by this alien shinobi spirit, it's like, that means you too. Yeah. And of course, Baruto, it's like, well, I don't want to hurt my dad either. So yeah, if I do anything to hurt my dad, kill me. So in the fight sequence, Momoshiki takes control. The bad guy, the new bad code, is like, yeah, no, don't you think you should kill this guy that killed you? It's like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. So, Boruto goes to kill his father. And Kawaki stops it. So, he saves Naruto's life.
2: In, in a very horrifying fashion, I, I must add, that puts his hand up to his chest and fires his power through his body. And it kind of like spider webs out behind him. So... It's it's like goes in this, you know, it's, it's like the whole 357 goes in the size of your pinky comes out the size of a frozen pot pie.
1: Yeah. And the fact that you know Bruto says do it, bro. And he does. He just eliminates his torso and he's dead. That was last week. So this week, it's like what's going to happen? Bruto's dead. We know this is the final episode of this whole segment. And we know he's going to come back because there's the flash forward at the beginning and all that. But what happens is, is Momoshiki uses the karma to regenerate Bruto's vital organs. So that's interesting, but we don't know that until the end of the episode, the whole episode, Bruto or no Naruto is grieving over his son. Mm-hmm. So he's just cradling this carcass of a body. And the fact that they grace or yeah, gray toned the cell color so he looks really dead. Yeah. And Shikamaro is saying, like, Naruto, the war is still going on here. We still have things to do. And Naruto's just in shock. Like, am I dreaming? Like, is this really happening? Naruto doesn't lift a finger the entire episode because he's just grieving over his son. And okay, let's segue for a minute here because I think this is one of the greatest death sequences in a long time and this is something that's come up in conversation with a bunch of different shows and movies and podcasts and you know people who try and get the cheap win by killing a character i mean this is happening in comic books all the time Mm -hmm. no like han solo one of the worst deaths in star wars history
2: Uh, oh that was oh god
1: but then what is it that makes a good character death in a story it's not about the character dying so no, who's with them when they die I, I i think it's more than that. it's it's gotta
2: it has to push the story as well as the characters around them have to grow because of it in a in a meaningful sense. Um, like if a character dies and everyone's like, huh, oh, okay. um, that's kind of like a you know, Game of Thrones sort of thing.
1: Well, they're dead uh, well, and that was a very Joss Whedon forward. thing I found. He did that in serenity when Wash dies. Yeah, like harpoon through the chest. Well, he's dead. Yeah, he's there was no, no. like, oh, geez. The preacher well. dies. Well, he's dead.
2: Yeah, there it was it's it's I find killing off a character to, to, for the shock value it cheapens the character. Whatever thing I mean, you could have a character suddenly die for stupid, inexplicable reasons, and you're like, you're shocked, like, oh my god, that character's dead. But it's it's how it pushes that story forward. And the characters around them, how they they grieve, or how they they you know they move forward from that mode, not just like, oh well. I mean to me that's just lazy writing. That's that is the epitome of lazy writing. The characters go, eh, and then like well let's just carry on like as if the, that person wasn't part of the plan anyway.
1: And we've had that in comic books so long where they want to boost sales. Spider-Man's dead, Captain America's Sup- dead, yeah, Iron Man's dead. dead, Superman's dead, like Batman's dead, we're yeah. all dead. Wolverine died. (laughs) Yeah, they'll die, and then they come back. You know, less than a year later, because they're like, "Oh shit, we can't have." Which can kind of work in the story. Okay, in uh, Civil War, when War Machine goes down, Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to die in that moment, and he might as well have died because the emotional impact was so intense and so hardcore. Yeah, it was like you see, you know,
2: Tony lands, and he's freaking out. He's trying to get vitals. Sam lands and says, I'm sorry. And he doesn't even he doesn't say, you know, you're a medic. Come on. Right. He just hand up, blasts him away. Like, get out of my face. I'm dealing with this. And then, you know, when they have the cutscene later of, of you know, he's always he's they're using technology to kind of get by his 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 shattered spine sort of thing. You know, Tony Stank um, using a little bit of humor there. But it's you see Tony realizing that the cost of of the heroes battling each other it's at that moment he's like you know i almost lost roadie someone who's been with him since the beginning yeah and it's done with a good effect there because again it advances the story because if war machine hadn't gone down he would have caught the quinjet and that would have stopped the story right there um but also it advanced the character of tony tony suddenly went from you know big global scale dealing with like, you know, multinationals and, and countries and that my friend, and it just brought them right down to that tiny little apex of my friend got hurt because of this. And it became yeah. personal. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm saying where a character death to matter, you need that because the audience watches it, but you get the emotion from the person who's with that character. hmm And a classic example is Spock and Kirk, Wrath of Khan. You know, the two best friends, you know, Spock sacrifices himself. And that would have been an empty death if Kirk wasn't there. Mm -hmm. If he was just there, did his thing and died. (laughs) And then they're like, well, the ship's good. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, (laughs) let's go. You know, thanks for the push. But no, it's the two friends having to deal with that situation. And you get all the emotion from Kirk. Because you're not getting it from Spock, yeah. You get all that emotion, which was watching him. Watch-
2: in the the re like the the newest batch of Star Trek films, when they did the same thing, um, when they were fighting Khan, and it was Kirk in the chamber this time and not Spock. But it's interesting that Spock broke emotionally because this was his friend, and he didn't know how to process it. He was like, I. Like, I've lost my mom and the Vulcan training kicked in, but now I've lost my best friend who saved, who has saved my life and the life of this ship. And you can see him trying to process it and it not working. The Vulcan techniques just, they're not kicking in like they should. And you can see him emotionally break. And. I thought that was a good way of handling. Like, if you did have to flip that situation, how would Spock handle Kirk dying? Like, the old version with, you know, James T, with with uh, Nimoy and, and Shatner, when Spock would Spock have been, hmm, your death is quite logical. And then let's go back and off we go. But because fascinating we Fascinating eyebrow. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, but it was interesting that they, the, the Abrams took it that way and having Spock break emotionally and want revenge. And you're like, okay, he's accepting some of his human side he's accepting some of that emotion and we got to go along that ride with him which made kirk's death a little bit more impactful for how long as it lasted um yeah it's, it's it's been a big um i guess uh grinds my gears sort of thing of, of when they needlessly kill off a character and it's like did the, the story advance at all or, or did characters develop any differently and you're like not really we just replace them
1: yeah like, and sometimes that's fine if it's a certain type of story like if you have your sopranos if you have your mm-hmm. game of thrones where it's just like everybody's disposable like yeah
2: well yeah. i mean that's that's martin's whole motif is is you never i mean no character is important enough not to die no one gets plot armor in his stories
1: except john Snow. Who dies, but he comes back.
2: Yeah, but it's I mean that was part of the whole thing. But things is yeah. really no one gets a plot armor of, oh, I'm unkillable. Like, you know, Rob Stark, I'm gonna take over the, the 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 Seven Kingdom. Well, you died, you know, the Red Wedding. Well, oh, and Martin is does it in a really good way of catching the reader off guard. That you know, you read like he dies, and then you flip back a couple of pages, you're like, What the hell? Or you scroll back in the on the video and you're like. What did I miss? I didn't see any, any build up to this. Like I didn't mm. see someone saying, hey, we're going to kill him now. It just, you know, it's like tripped down the stairs and broke his neck. All his plots and plans go with him. Yeah.
1: And in that's Game what... of Thrones, did you read the books first or yeah, watch the I, show? I read the books first. Okay. Because I started with the show. It was so good. I jumped to the books. So the Red Wedding, I read in the book first. Mm-hmm. And that was one where I was physically scarred. Like I read that chapter twice. And I, I was just emotionally shocked.
2: Yeah, you're just you stop and we're, you stop right where you're reading, and you're like, you're trying to process. You're like,
0: what?
2: So you like go back a page, you're like let me let me get let me ease right back into that slowly and see if if maybe the words have changed, maybe that the, the I, I just read it wrong. That's that's what it is. You get to the point you're like, nope, nope, I read it right. Yep, yep, yep. He just got pierced by crossbows. Um, and and you're like, well shit. There's like a whole bunch of story hanging off this guy that is yet to, to go and now it's all gone and you, you you get that feeling of loss yeah um and to me that's good writing like that's i remember there's a uh book series long 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 ago by uh raymond feist uh the the rift war saga it was like the first four books and i think it was second book i believe yeah second book and there's a character that they had developed that he had developed in the first book as kind of like a companion, like a side companion slash rivalry, uh, like squires sort of thing. And then, you know, the main character gets kidnapped and you go off and then later you come back and you find out, Oh, he's dead. He went out on a, uh, to stop a a raid and took an arrow through the throat and he's dead. And you're like, "Uh, no, 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 that he's not dead he's merely in the back room drinking or something he's not dead and then they're like yeah he's dead and then they move and it was like you're not given a whole lot of context until in, later in another book and you're like oh okay yeah so he did okay he's dead and 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 this is and cuz the main character has to process that because he's yeah. like you know cuz suddenly he's brought back into that world where he was from and all these people and he's like well where's so and so um and everyone's kind of like oh eesh. Who wants to tell him? Um, and then they tell him. And okay,
1: stopped. so in the context of this book, was it good? Was it done well?
2: I think it was done well enough because I know people who refused the second they found out that character was dead, they stopped reading the series because that death was so impactful to them that it was it wasn't fair that that character got killed. And you're like, it's not. A, it's death is never fair,
1: and especially that it happens off screen because you were talking about advancing the story and all that. And it it's funny, it's it's an off-screen death that does advance the characters because
2: the character was very central to the main character and the the princess they both kind of were fighting over. And it's her character that advances, like matures as a character that has to realize that you know, put away childish things, sort of thing, you know. Okay. She, and so when he meets up with her again, she is a completely different person, like she's far more mature. And and he's almost like shocked at just how black and white, cut and dry she can be with with people in terms of like their lives, because she's accepted that role. of Now she's, you know, she's in charge and he's almost like, like, who is this person in front of me? Well, got you this way. And then he's like, oh, OK, yeah, I see it. I see it now. So you see a difference in character and then you find out the circumstances leading up to it. So an off screen death can can have that effect. Yeah. So- what I can't stand is like, you know, for example, the death of Superman, they killed him off for, for for comic book sales. And then when they realized that the the four replacements weren't pulling in the numbers, he's back. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it in three issues. He's back. There we go. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was always
1: just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was never a huge fan of the death of Superman, <laughs> even though I have all the comics. So I have the I, I got the compilation of it because I collected one or two and
2: then I was like, this is this is not gonna end well. They're gonna bring him back in some stupid way,
1: which they did. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. So anyway, back to Bruto. The fact that Naruto is grieving over Bruto, it, like it's his emotion that sells the whole thing. So Kuwaki did his job. You know, the two brothers had a plan, mm-hmm. but it's Naruto's grief. It just, you know, it makes me tear up watching it. Anytime you tear up watching an well, anime,
2: I think as a father, like, I I don't want to outlive my kids. Exactly, I don't want to have to go through that of outliving a child. I mean, I've had many pets throughout the years, and it is kind of soul crushing in a way when a pet dies because you know it's a part of the family, but. I can't even fathom people who, you know, have a young child who dies or even like yeah. a teenager. Like to me, that kind of pain is, I don't even want to contemplate it. I, you know, I, I don't want to outlive my children, any of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so, yeah. When like, cause I watched that episode and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've, you're going through that, that, that situation that I dread. And so we're watching all the emotion on his face, and the, you know, and they, especially when they cut to all the flashbacks of, of Bruto as a young kid and like, hold my hand and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, oh God. Oh no.
1: Yeah.
2: It makes it tough to watch.
1: But it's good. It's good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, the fact that it's not just like a cheap reincarnation, there's actual stakes. So he's full Otsusuki now, so he can be sacrificed. So he's part of the game plan for the bad guys still. Yeah. Uh, uh, He can't resurrect anymore because that part of the karma has been used up. So that's done. You know, Kwaki. won't get
2: out of jail free card.
1: Yeah. Like that's been burned out. You know, Kwaki's still saying, it's like, you're still a threat. Our plan still stands. If you do anything bad, I'm going to kill you. And the Kwaki's thing's so interesting because he's such a psychopath. He's been brought into the, you know, the Naruto Uzumaki house. And he's one of the family now. And the fact Shikimaru saying, you know what? This guy is a threat. He's already proven he will do anything to meet his objectives. He's not safe to be in the leaf. Like he has to be punished. And Naruto's. He's my son. Yeah. Nobody's ever stood with him before. If I turn on him now, what will happen? Well, I think not only
2: really that, but
1: he's proven his
2: loyalty that how far he's willing to go to protect that family,
1: that if there's a threat, he's he's stepping up. But it's like the Punisher saying, I will kill anybody that hurts Spider-Man. and Spider-Man's like, whoa, guys, like I don't want to kill everyone. <laughs> you know it's a, so it's this conflicting point of view, even mm-hmm. though they both have the same objective. And it's a really neat character conundrum between this whole situation that's happening. It's like you have three characters who are tight, but their viewpoints are so tweaked in an interesting way that it creates conflict. And meanwhile, you have these alien space god shinobis that are just messing with everything. So, yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people... I know. And everybody says that basically Boruto series is salvaging the end of Naruto because the old Suzuki kind of came in out of the blue and it should have been all these other characters like Obito and Madara and all these other characters. And right at the end it's like, whoa, new villain. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of out of nowhere. But this is kind of salvaging it. And now, okay. Spoilers. Um, My son, the Spoiler King, who's Obsessed with all this stuff," said that way back in one of the old, uh, like episodes of manga. There's a little dark shadow on a hilltop, like in the past, and the theory is that's Baruto. So the theory is, and we already have this because he already did a time jump and met Jiraiya, mm-hmm. and all that. So the Yotsusuki can manipulate time and space there's a theory that there's a weird time jump stuff happening where the Otsutsuki have been jumping back in time and manipulating the whole Shinobi world. And possibly, Bruto will do that. Bruto will do a jump back. All right. And that's fascinating. So anyway, the end of this episode does a flash forward back to the whole fight on the Hokage cliff with everybody destroyed and Boruto versus Kwaki, they both say, this is my story. And boom, they go to fight. It's so good.
2: <laughs> oh, it's always great when they end a, a season on a, on a note that makes you just long for the next season. You're like, come on, get it out. I'll bring it already.
1: I know. That's when you know you've got a good, a, a good show on your hands. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, oh, my God, we got to wait for however many months. But then when it was filler episodes, it's like, actually, we waited all those months, too. So. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a fair amount of waiting while let's we just were wait. watching. Yeah, let's just wait for the good stuff. Yeah. All
2: right. So also this week, uh, there were episodes of Star Trek Picard. Um, and we'll have to discuss two episodes, uh, Episode 6 and Episode 7, The Bounty and The Dominion. So I'll let you start on this one because you've been really, you know, championing Picard a lot. So I've been keeping up with it, but you're the one who's been pushing it along. So,
1: Okay, so the bounty, we get Jordy LaForge back. And hey, just what we were saying about character deaths, like it's the people that are around that's important to the story. So the fact that Jordy is there with Data, that's huge because in the movies they always just made it kind of like a picard and data action mm-hmm. hero story and but no it's jordi and data are best friends
2: the android and the and the
1: engineer yeah so the fact that they got a moment like that in itself was a beautiful thing the fact that they have the whole ship museum and i mean yeah. this is full on member berries Oh, yeah. Well, I mean,
2: not just the ship museum, because I mean, they like they even like they pulled out the bounty. They dredged it out of the Bay of San Francisco. That one used to hold whales. Um, That was great. That was that was so much fun.
1: Yeah. And that's the kind of thing where that can be cheap writing when it's not done well. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, remember this? Yeah, I remember. Remember this other thing? Yeah, I remember that, too. Now,
2: they kind of do that when they go to Daystrom. And you see all the different experiments and whatnot, like the the, uh, the feral tribal. Um, that the was awesome. Torpedo. James
1: uh, T. Kirk.
2: The body of James T. Kirk. The body of Jean Luc Picard. Data is like the body of data, but inside is lore, data, and before, before, whatever we want to call them. Um and uh, a nice little message from from their creator,
1: um, saying, "Well, I tried to put it all together and it didn't work." And the way through was that this episode? No, that was the one before. But with Moriarty and yeah, that was the bounty. All of that Moriarty. Yeah, so I like the fact Moriarty was in it because I at one point I was thinking Moriarty might be the villain of the whole series, which would have been nice. But I
2: he was basically the the projection of the ai um that was the 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 security which turns out to be data but he was data was using moriarty as a way to kind of get Riker to realize what the key code was to disable yeah. the system which was just going all the way back to farpoint station when data first when Riker first met data
1: yeah i, I think this was the first time they did a proper flashback yeah, right. With original series footage, mm-hmm. and at first I was kind of thrown off by it, but to tell the story and to basically show what happened, I do think it was kind of necessary. It was. I, I think it was because then, I mean, you can't
2: assume that everyone has seen *Firepoint Station* or remember that remember it from that
1: long ago. Yeah, yeah.
2: And the, the the whole whistling thing. The one thing he's fascinated by is the, the ability to whistle. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a it was a nice little thing there, and we finally found out what the Dominion stole from Daystrom. In addition to the portal technology, which was Picard's Picard. body. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we found out that Jack is suffering from the same neurological condition that Picard had to has. Yeah. Which also, if you go back to was it Star Trek Nemesis? The clone of Picard had the same thing. Mm-hmm. So and that that line of so how'd you beat it? And he's like, I didn't. He's sitting there in his synthetic
1: body. I did Yeah. Didn't. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that was great was the LaForge daughters. Yeah. Jack Crusher or Picard, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. But that was fun. It, you know, it's like the kids being up to trouble and interacting, and Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of likes the LaForge girl, and you know, they decide, ah, let's steal a cloaking device. Yeah, why not? And the fact that there's an alarm on
2: the cloaking device so that if someone did come along and steal it, it had its own separate alarm. Yeah. The fact that, you know, the Defiant was there. Probably not the original, because that one got destroyed, but a Defiant-class ship was there, so yeah, the graveyard of ships was so nice. I was just, every time, like, there was the original Romulan ship from the original series was there. Like, it was in the long shot. You had to basically, like, I had it zoomed way out, and I paused, and I zoom. I'm like, there it is, that that very distinct saucer with, like, the very weird wings. Yep, it was there. They must have combed through the archives at, uh, at Paramount, and I'm like, where's this model? We're using it. Damn it.
1: Someone scanned this. Yeah, and That's one weird. thing that as this series goes on is everybody has a motivation. Every character has a reason that they're involved with the story. Mm-hmm. Like starting with Beverly, like she wants to protect her son. You know, Picard he gets pulled in because of Beverly. You know, Worf he's just doing his duty. He's on his mission. Yeah, his and... mission just happens to, to
2: kind of connect to what they're doing.
1: Yeah, Riker is like, hey. The old captain wants some help? Yeah, I can help him. I'm yeah. having some family troubles, and I'd like to blow off some steam and go do some stuff. It's like, yeah, let's go on an adventure. And it just keeps going. Jordy, he's trying to protect his daughters. It's like, whoa, don't pull my family into this. I know what kind of shenanigans you guys get up to. Yeah. I, no, everyone, Dana, He's having a personality crisis. Which yeah, lets not get everyone's that. Teflon, like
2: the Picard and Riker.
1: Yeah. But, um... The Brent Spiner performance. I, I, my family. Yeah, were, the, the second like, episode of
2: really brought you. I mean, you actually believe that Spiner was different characters. Like, oh, based on the facial expression, that's Data. Now you can tell that's lore. Like, to me, that's, that's great acting. That then you,
1: even jumping to B4, it's like, I forgot that was even a character until he jumped into that But it character. wasn't
2: just also the facial expression. It was the posture yeah like you could tell when he's standing if it's lore or data in front of you just by doesn't have to say a word does don't have to look at his face just by the way he's carrying himself you're like oh that's lore in charge that's data and yeah it was so yeah jumping onto dominion where they're they're hiding in in a, a bunch of shipwrecks um jordy's trying to restore data as the primary personality and and lore's like well screw you i'm in here too um and this is also where we find out that Tuvok from Voyager is still around. But he's not. It's changing.
1: Kind of. Maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're like, they probably tortured him to death to get the information out of him. Um,
1: That was a great moment between Seven.
2: Yeah. Because it was, I mean, I watched Voyager. Tuvok was the one who basically gained stability for Seven to, to advance. Because she was at a point where her brain was starting to fall apart and he you know took the time to mind meld with her and in essence rebuilt her mentally and that kind of connected those two characters on that show so it's nice to see that you know later on they're still talking to one another and then when she's asking the various questions and they're like oh pass inconclusive pass and then she just threw that off comment and he's like oh and she's like "You, you never i never beat you and it was just like oh Oh, and then it you know the it shifts. You're like, yeah, uh crap, he's dead. Nice to see him though.
1: <laughs> um, and speaking of that, the Riker moment. The Riker when he moment. changes into Riker zombie. Yeah, yeah,
2: that was creepy.
1: I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, and, I'm not a zombie guy, but that moment was awesome.
2: <laughs> now, something that I thought was interesting is whatever it is that's affecting Jack Crusher you know, he's starting to develop like telepathy because he started like reaching out with his thoughts and hearing other people's thoughts. And it's like, all right, what is going on with him? Like, what is
1: not only that the psychic remote control. Yeah. Then the LaForge girl was trapped in the shield and about to get her ass kicked. He's like, fine. I'm taking over your body. It's like, yeah,
2: (laughs) here I'll take over the controller. Yeah.
1: Your older brother takes control. Here, let me, let me get you through this. There you go. You're good.
2: You're like, but uh, I Okay.
1: Okay, so theories. Because I think the whole idea of his conception, where they had their little romantic interlude, and then they separated. Mm-hmm. I think some sort of alien life form was there, was involved with the conception, and he's carrying whatever, you know, mutant X gene, whatever you want to call it.
2: Yeah. I think it's something... um Borg related in a way. I still hold out for that Borg because, you know, Picard and 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 uh, Beverly got together after he'd gone through a whole episode of being locutus and back. So there might be something more in, inside his Make head. Some Borg, eh? Hey? There could be some Borg. I mean, countless species he's been with. Um, I mean, the ones from the one of the movies that the, they he gave. A, they even talked about he threw away his career saving a. a a, a whole group of people um and that chick so you know there could be something there could be some something going on but it'll be interesting and the fact that what's her face um Vadic says she knows uh what's going on with Jack so it, there may be some changeling thing going on you know as well so we don't know
1: and cuz what it looks like whatever that you know x factor is is it can affect multiple species. Mm-hmm. I think it's affected the changelings, but it seems to be affecting a lot of other people. So I don't know. I'm curious. Again, episode seven, I don't know what's going on, but I'm liking it.
2: I, I was kind of in, in when uh, Vatic was talking about how that branch of changelings can change so well and the whole thing with like the Starfleet doctors and stuff like that i thought for sure beverly was gonna like you deserve your revenge you go ahead like it would have been a great moment to just see how her how far she's broken from starfleet to have her just say "You, you know what after hearing that you you deserve to have your revenge against starfleet have at it go i'm not gonna you know stop you in any way shape or form if anything what can i do to help because if anything that's that broke the the oath that she held with starfleet of you know do no harm doctors do no harm these people actively tortured changelings and you know it's like finding out the company you're working for is you know they're secretly taking their profits and funding terrorists who may or may not have killed people you know and then you're like but wait a second um I thought those profits were supposed to be for like bonuses and and, and, and their next project and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I could I could see Beverly being pissed by that. Finding out that the Starfleet she knew and loved and held dear to her heart was they had a very dark sector that was doing what they has they
1: pleased. And the other interesting thing with Fadick is the fact that she took the shape of the person who was tormenting her. Yeah, that was cool. But as far as Beverly like I'm thinking this is like it all comes down to humanity it's like all right my team's done some pretty crappy things but I'm still on team people like God this is you know all that crap aside you know I'm fighting for humanity it's my team this is my family you know but it is an inter it it's an interesting conundrum that a doctor has to go through that because she was even thinking of coming up with another weird genocide weapon. Yeah. Genocide and, it was, and she
2: was, for her, it was a big sticking point. She was like, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to have to take that route and then find out, Oh yeah. By the way, your colleagues tortured chain changelings that were captured during the Dominion war. And you're like, Oh, I thought we were just, ex-, you know, finding out what would be that, that kill switch sort of thing. Not we were actively making spies out of them um by torturing them by heating up the tubes freezing the tubes adding jello you know all the stuff they did let's see if jello affects their their density there's always room for jello oh bill cosby yeah that's the pudding pops um that's <laughs> taking a pudding pop and stirring it in um yeah so it was this was a very interesting episode i know there's two three
1: left I think it goes to 10. So three. All right, so this left. was set. So there's three left. So it's be interesting to
2: see where this goes. Um, because they've they've been saying that the their big um celebration day is like 36 hours away. They're like a day and a half away from this, all kicking off. All of Starfleet is going to be in orbit around Earth, which makes me think they're gonna to try to blow up Earth and take out Starfleet and its entire armada all at once. Which seems a little grandiose, but we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and all the spoiler reviews that I've been trying to avoid keep saying that this whole thing is set up like a movie plot as far as pacing. Mm-hmm. And people have been saying that this last episode, 7, is the weakest episode, which I loved. So if this is the weakest one, oh boy. I'm really happy going to the I'm, next I'm going to have to install the seatbelt on my chair. <laughs> um. And what they say is, so... The last three episodes are essentially the big climatic battle. You know, you have the, all the setup, the intro, then you have the middle bit, which we've just gone through. Mm-hmm. And then when it finishes uh, off, it's like this gigantic, epic... Yeah. You know, climax. Yeah, and, and, and the whole
2: thing, thing like. with Riker realizing that on board the Shrike is is the Oh, end. Yeah.
1: And that's one where... I almost thought she'd just be a cameo. I thought, yeah, oh, maybe she didn't want to be in it. Yeah, because she's, she's just on a video screen. Now
2: my question is: Is it actually Deanna, or is it a changeling posing as Deanna? So we'll have to wait and see.
1: Yeah. Knowing Riker, he just make love to her, and then either you know, way, figure it out that way.
2: Yeah, that's that's the way he's. he's, he's either way, that's his plan. <laughs> either way, he'll be like, "We get some horn music and dim the lights."
1: Yeah, let's get some jazz going.
2: There we go. I'll play the trombone a little bit, and then uh, there we go.
1: Yeah. yeah but uh, I'm loving this series. It's still staying strong. I think it it's the best track that's been around since decades. I have to agree with you on that one. All right, we're going to
2: shift some gears from Star Trek to Star Wars. Uh Mandalorian um most recent episode uh chapter 21 the pirate
1: i gave up on it so i have nothing to say i okay, want to hear well. what you have to say so this
2: one is all about um the pirate who looks like the trash monster honestly he does it it looks like someone said hey we got a green trash bag let's make a, a villain out of it it's terrible it's, it's almost like pizza the hut but with green trash bag instead
1: of pizza. <laughs> the first time I saw that character, that's what I thought. Yeah, honestly. Pizza the honestly. hut, except with moss. Um, and I so- also heard that the pirate ships have, like, Earth navigation systems, like, for tracking lunar...
2: I don't know. I th- it's It sounds like they're getting a little lazy in some of the design. I had this problem in Andor. Anyways... Um, so this pirate shows up with a ship and he starts attacking the, this Carl Weathers settlement and he's like, oh shit. Um, so he contacts, uh, the new Republic and they're like, yeah, uh, you're out on the outer rim and we're busy. So, um, so the, uh, what's his face? Uh, the one pilot who interacts with the Mandalorian a couple times, he's like, well, let's see what I can do.
1: The guy from and, Kim Convenience.
2: Yeah, and there was a nice little sequence where he's like, "I'm going to go to Coruscant," and who should show up next to him? Which, as if you watch Star Trek or Star Wars Rebels, it was a huge moment because this is one of the main characters from Star Wars Rebels. We know he's joined the rebellion. He's a pilot. He's there, and it's a live action version of him, and it, they pulled it off really well. And the second, I said that I forgot his name, um, but he shows up and it was just like oh my god uh, dev Rev, no, i can't remember i can't think of his name now damn it keep talking anyways um he shows up and it was just like and just a brief like 4 second moment he has one line and and then off he goes and so the guy goes off to corson and meets up with um tim meadows who's the colonel tuttle and says look we got you know these people are being attacked by pirates we should do something and this is where the kind of the side story of um, uh, Moff Gideon's one of his little bridge monkeys, who's now reformed. Um, she's there, and she's like, "Oh," and they're like, "Oh, uh, you've been to this planet?" She's like, "Yes," but they're not a signatory of the New Republic, so maybe this is how they learn that they should have signed up with us. You know, let the pirate do his damage. This is the lesson to learn, and like. That's empire thinking. She's like, no, that's what you want to think, but that's you know, it's that's not empire thinking. That's these people need to sign up with the new republic to get to gain our protection. Um, so when he realizes he's he's stymied, he goes, meets up with the Mandalorians and says, Look, this guy's getting attacked by pirates. Can you do something? And um I think one of the interesting things is. You know the pirates initially, or the Mandalorians are initially like, I don't know if we're supposed to do this, and it's the big heavy duty assault blaster guy who's like, look, if you know, if Din Djarin wants to do it, he's proven to me he is a, an exemplary Mandalorian. He saved my son. I'm all for it. So Bo Katan flies him in her freighter fighter thing, and um Mando flies in his his uh, Naboo starfighter. Um, they proceed to do like a a huge Mandalorian drop, like a salt drop, and this is where we finally see Mandalorians as a unit. How effective are they? Um, the answer is very fucking effective. Um, they go street by street, and yeah, leapfrogging using using their technology, the jetpacks, the the various armor armaments on themselves, and start cleaning pirates left and right. Bo Katan and And Mando take down the pirate ship of you know I'm just going to call him garbage the hut because it just looks like a garbage bag. It's just (laughs) such a terrible, such a terrible fucking design. Whoever said this is the design, and whoever said yes, let's use that design, both of those people need a really strong punch to the face and say try harder because that I could
1: see that character in a fantasy movie if it's some sort of weird Lord of the Rings thing. It's like. It's
2: weird. I can see but, it as as yeah. a muppet that you know Kermit and gang show up as, and it's like, are you Oscar the Grouch? And he's like, oh, like someone trying to impersonate Oscar the Grouch. Sir, that's yeah. what he looks like.
1: Pirates of the Caribbean Seven, you know where there's Oscar the Grouch it in. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was it was just it's such a terrible fucking
1: design. So anyway, the character us- Zeb. Yes, Zeb. Yeah, that's it. Zeb or Yes.
2: Yes. Um, so, anyways, okay. so so they shoot down the, uh, the 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 main pirate ship. He goes crashing into them. The Mandalorians are accepted by the Navarans, who are like, "You can take this chunk of land that we offer the Mandalorian. Uh, it's all yours. You this is now your planet." Now, on a side note, the Armorer meets with Bo-Katan and says that she didn't want to acknowledge the Mythosaur's appearance because it starts a new age for the Mandalorians. And as such, she's like, take off your helmet. And she's like, what? She's like, take off your helmet. So, Bo-Katan takes off her helmet. She's like, you now walk in two worlds. You can walk in our world, and you can walk in your world, because you are the future of Mandalore. You've seen a mythosaur, a live mythosaur. So, you are the start of the new age. So, now this is basically these... These Mandalorians are going to be following her when she decides to go take Mandalore, which will hopefully bring other Mandalorians in
1: that sounds dumb did you think that's dumb I, it, well thing is I is didn't that, watch it but there's a whole thing about dumb.
2: the Mythosaur being the 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 reunification and the restart of the Mandalorian culture but but well, Mando saw one no he was unconscious he when he hit the bottom at, in the water he was he never saw nothing she saw it.
1: Okay, can they breathe in their helmets underwater? Yes,
2: they there is an air thing, but he I don't think he he expected to step down some steps, dunk himself, and step right back up. He wasn't expecting step, step, and then fall like, you know, hundreds of feet under the water. Um so he wasn't all there. Like
1: his um, Yeah. I don't so think he, the series is all there to be yeah, honest. He, but... he didn't see it. So,
2: anyways one of the the biggest thing was so uh Tiva who is the the X-wing pilot gets information that he comes across a floating lambda class shuttle that's been disabled with a big hole in the side and they're like well you know he's like I found the shuttle someone figure out who's it who's it is and they're like oh uh it's a prison shuttle and he's like oh so he sends like he has his little R2 unit kind of like pop off a little piece and fly in and it's Moff Gideon's transport shuttle. Um, this is, why, this is why he didn't go to prison, because someone's already broken him out. And they find evidence of Beskar steel embedded in some places. So they're like, oh, it looks like the Mandalorians broke Moff Gideon out. So, but if we go back, I mean, Gideon had quite the surplus of Beskar steel. That's how he paid for... Um, grogu to be delivered like that 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 was the bounty was you know like that whole ice cream container full of beskar steel so he obviously has a lot of it so he probably has his own forces like those those dark troopers probably new ones covered in beskar steel so when luke shows up with a lightsaber there's gonna be less chance of him like slicing and dicing his his forces to pieces so this is probably where we're going to find out that you know gideon's out Um, His little bridge lackey who's on Curson has been the whole time, you know, paving the way. So there's only three episodes left. So we'll see how this goes. I'm this episode, uh, you know, seeing like, you know, Garbage the Hut pirate was just like uh, every time he showed up on the screen, I was just like, oh, look, Could, could someone just it? Honestly, it's like they found a five year old to draw, you know, draw what you think, you know. Oscar the Grouch looks like. And but if he was made out of garbage bags. And then they're like, ha ha! And then they ran off to the character department and said, That's the character of the Pirate King. Go. Mm -hmm. And you have to use trash bags. Hefty. Green. Good. Go. That's it's honestly what it felt like. The character, it's such a terrible character design.
1: It is. I only saw it once. If it's supposed to be moss,
2: then then make it look like moss. But it looks like plastic, like shreds of plastic green hefty bags all over and I'm just like what how like what's the character's greatest nemesis a heat gun where the plastic will shrivel and like like come on step it up i mean this the show's got money behind it this is the best you got then then someone is someone's siphoning money off the production find out who just put in a new pool and bought himself a tesla and maybe a maserati that's your smoking gun cuz that was just fucking horrible
1: and that's a segue talking about cost cutting with all the stuff that's happening with disney right now they're just they're cleaning they're cleaning house they're just firing people left and right and geez i called this years ago because i'm the canary in the coal mine (laughs) i am the target audience i'm the person with five kids who drops two to three hundred dollars every time to go see a movie Mm-hmm. I'm the comic book fan who's been following all this stuff. I'm the one who's training my children, the next generation, how to love this stuff, like the legacy of everything. Like, As soon as I get kind of pissed off and not liking it and not supporting it, that's a massive chunk. Like, you know, all the normies who spend 20 bucks to watch a movie, fine. But you're talking to someone who is a hardcore fan who's educating the next generation and it's and a major financial investment. Of to, exactly to go to movies right like you got to plan for this shit <laughs> exactly it's like you ha- we have one or two events and it's those movies in the past well i think but a lot now of this is, it's not
2: is i've seen this happen with with other companies i mean not to the scale of you know when companies realize we are very top heavy as a company you know when when you've got so many people at the top and so many few, when you get down to it at the bottom, that's that pivot point that you're like, oh, shit, um, we got to trim some weight. And I remember, um, like, so you got to remember, like, I, I live in, in, in the, the capital district of, of New York State. GE is a huge company here. Um, so a couple of years back, GE was hemorrhaging money. I mean, the amount of money they were spending versus the amount of money coming in was, it was a huge difference. So GE is like we're going to split ourselves into basically every major division will be its own GE company sort of thing. So like power generation, you know, this consumer products, whatnot. And then they then they were, once they got those divisions down, then they're like, all right, now we're going to just be cutting entire divisions. Like not like oh we're letting two or three people go. We're like no, we're 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 laying off eighty thousand people um because they just they couldn't keep hemorrhaging money and so the the sections that were profitable were what were in essence what what has remained so ge which was one of the biggest employers in this area i mean a lot of people have had to like basically flee ship because they're like we have to cut down you know a a friend of mine who uh Uh, His dad was one of the engineers at GE who he, he took early retirement back in like the mid 2010, like 2014, 2015. He was like, he's like, I answer to 20 people and I am like the, the top end of my division. Like there's only one or two people whose names are above mine, but I still answer to 20 people because there's, it's so top heavy and all these people are trying to justify their job. So when you say, oh, you know, here's here's something I need to say. You have to say it to 20 people and they all have to reply. So he's like, when he sends an email, he'll get like 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 replies to it. Sometimes it's just a single word of, okay. That's, the, that's all that they just chimed in so that people realize I still have a pulse. I still need a paycheck. And so part of this is... You know, when GE realized just how much money they're hemorrhaging and paring down just how much of the top corporate structure they need to clean house up. Because it's just, you don't need 20 people to supervise one person. It's just, it's unnecessary. So I can see Disney kind of doing the same thing because they have, as things become successful, like, you know, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, $30 billion and the various things. Every time something gets successful, you get more people hired on. And other people promoted and more people hired on and more people promoted. And eventually you get to a point where you have, you know, 20 different bosses. And they're all collecting not small paychecks every month. And do you really need all 20 when you could get away with like one or two? So when the news dropped that, you know, Disney is, is laying off massive amounts of people, it's like it's it's about time. This was probably long overdue. They probably should have done this back before the COVID. You know, the the, the shutdown and everything. But, you know, they were waiting waiting it out.
1: Well, the other aspect of that is the identity politics stuff. And, okay, Victoria Alonso, Mm -hmm. she's apparently like an outspoken lesbian. There's video clips coming out saying... That if she could see a romantic comedy or a thriller or a superhero, she would never give money to a superhero movie. Then in the clip, she says, ha is this live? Are they going to fire me? Um, yes, yes, they are. Like, you're really <laughs> going to put someone like that in charge of Marvel? Yeah. Like, Mar- like, the reason Disney bought Star Wars and Marvel is because they were selling all the princess stuff to all the little girls. Mm-hmm. But the boys weren't buying into it. So they bought the two most successful male power fantasy properties and then gave them to basically intersectional feminists to destroy the legacy and create a whole bunch of weird feminist agenda characters. It's like, that's kind of counterproductive. You've created a situation where you bought Star Wars, killed all the main characters, didn't even let them... Be in a movie together and just wrecked it with your weird identity politics. Marvel, you don't even have the main characters. Like, you don't have the rights to Spider Man. Okay. You know, you just got the rights to Fantastic Four and X Men, haven't even touched them yet. But so yeah. you based an entire MCU off your B class characters like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Destroyed those characters, tried to bring in this weird next wave character that nobody likes. All their comic books are canceled. Like nobody even reading comic books like these characters and stuff. Yeah. So you buy Marvel, deliver this shit. You know, you destroy Namor, Namor, <laughs> you know, you don't even introduce Doctor Doom. How do all these other characters come into play with before Doctor Doom? It doesn't make any sense yeah so and like this is what was said in a different podcast i was listening to but it's true it's like they committed suicide it's not just like oh no the you know superhero universe is you know not as interesting to people anymore no like you guys killed yourselves there was a point in time where a tree and a raccoon were amazing superheroes but it now nobody cares. Yeah. Then well, plus, I, uh, okay, Kang and Jonathan Majors and what he's going through. And yeah, that's they, a whole other side story. Innocent until proven guilty. But, like, what is this universe based on? Okay, I'm done. Go.
2: <laughs> well, I, I look at this also. So um, Disney bought Marvel back in 2009. They bought Lucas and all of its subsidiary stuff in 2012. So, if you want to do the you know do the numbers, you know they've owned Marvel for what fourteen years now. They've owned Lucasfilm for eleven years now. So you go to the parks. You've got in Disney Hollywood. You've got a, a small little section of Star Wars. You know you've got Galaxy's Edge, and really, I mean, and then in Disneyland you have like the the Avengers Campus, which is yeah. You've got these two giant franchises and you've honestly have done fuck all with them. Except kill them. Well, that's just it. Like they've they've handed the keys over to people who don't appreciate them for what they are and are, are more interested in telling their own stories and their own agendas of of what they feel it should be. Um, it just feels like I'm gonna take a giant sack of money and I'm just gonna light it on fire. And I'm not even going to roast marshmallows over the fire because that would be productive.
1: But I gave it the money to the person who had all the check boxes, right? Yeah. Like, it's just... Like they had all the checks. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can say it. Like, Kathleen Kennedy is... I'm not a fan of Kathleen Kennedy at all. Um, and... and that's another weird one. I think there's conspiracy stuff involved in that. Like, I don't know. I, I think she has some dirt on the industry or something. I don't know if this is hypothetical theory, but I, yeah, the way she's held on to that, but again, her wearing the whole, the force is female. It's like, no, the force is the force. It connects all life. Like it's, come on, stop the nonsense. Yeah. And you bought Star Wars to appeal to males to buy toys and you're going to do that? Like, come on.
2: Yeah. Makes me angry. (laughs) <laughs> me too um that's why i was like i honestly i don't i've reached the point of saturation
1: now that like you know we've got what movie's
2: coming up next for marvel don't care uh not know,
1: don't care i know uh captain america 4 is coming out at some point i know captain marvel is coming out to marvel's whatever don't yeah. care
2: and then dc has uh
1: Well, they just so uh, Shazam's out, um, Blue Beetle at some point. Oh,
2: Flash, if it ever does see the light of day, um, but they keep cutting. And that's one.
1: Okay, talking of Flash, you just know that Michael Keaton's back because nobody cares about two flashes.
2: Yeah. Well, the other thing that gets me is so online there is all these. I'm, if I offend you, I'm sorry. But these Snyderverse fucking wannabes that. Need to go back to their parents' basements that are just constantly hashtagging shit of like Netflix. Netflix should buy the Snyderverse. Like like Warner Brothers should should sell Netflix the 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 Snyderverse if they're not going to do anything with it. That James Gunn's going to ruin everything. And... I
1: support the Snyderverse fans for having an opinion. I I'm just saying that for the record.
2: I, I look at it as it's done. It's not coming back, and they're like someone had just recently posted that. Um, you know, it, it was the fans that got, allowed Snyder to release a four-hour version of Justice League, and it was the biggest cinematic event for Warner Brothers in, in 2021 or 22 or whenever. mean like, it probably was. It probably was. I don't know. It probably
1: was, even though that year nothing happened.
2: Exactly. I mean, a bird fart could be considered a large cinematic event. But the fact um,
1: that it beat the bird fart, like, Hey, yeah, you're not it, you're not raising the
2: bar that high to say, "Ooh, look, we, we exceeded the bar." The bar was on the ground to begin with. It's not that hard to step over it at this yeah. point. But I'm just I'm I'm tired of these people like, "Ooh, if we get enough people to push behind it, we'll g- get our way." It's like Cavill's moved on, Affleck's moved on, Godot's moved on, Snyder himself has moved on. It's not like James
1: Gunn has already said no.
2: Yeah, so I I don't a I don't see Warner Brothers going. Hey, you know what we should do? We should sell the rights to some characters off to another company so they can impossibly make money off it. When we're hemorrhaging money so bad that we're shuttling, you know, we're we're scuttling hundred million dollar productions to gain a ten million dollar tax credit.
1: Um, I don't. Okay, I have an idea. Hold on, I have an idea. And Warner Brothers, hear me out. And if it works, you know, give us a little bit of a cutback. You could do an Elseworlds Snyderverse, make that fan base happy, and ka-ching, get all the monies. That's just it.
2: So so the four-hour Snyderverse cut has been released to DVD. Fuck all for sales. Where are all these Snyder fans who... We're supposed to lap this stuff up and run to the store and buy the, the the blu-ray version of the four-hour version of justice league it's it's not it's i i, w- I was at target it's it's already in the bargain bin oh. no one's buying it so i think in, in in warner brothers case they don't even want to fund a snyder verse film because it's not going to make money you know, it's it's like they re- they released it on HBO, knowing it was it was being done as a, at a loss, just to shut people up. They're not going to keep throwing money at it when they just you know eight ninety million dollars on on Batgirl or, or Batwoman or whatever it was. So yeah, I don't see this this happening anytime soon. It's just it's almost like that little annoying voice or that little mosquito that keeps buzzing around your ear. And when you finally crush it, you get that sense of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Snyder I want Verse. to ask all the Snyderverse fans. Snyderverse. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as Snyder is not a good director. I mean, he could be a good director, but he's not a good storyteller. Not in any way, shape or form. Unless the material has been written out for him by someone who can tell a good story. You know, it's just he's he's not that good.
1: I haven't watched enough of his stuff to have in a like a real opinion, but I mean, I know he can do dark stuff really well. The ones that
2: are successful, not
1: do Superman. So I can say that
2: 300, written by Frank Miller, Watchmen, written by Alan Moore, Day of the Dead, or Dawn of the Dead, or whichever one of the dead it was. Romero. One of the dead. Yeah, one of the dead. Romero. When he gets to write his own stuff, like Army of the Dead, absolute horseshit. Like just. When he he writes Man of Steel, and, and it's, well, I'll read it myself. I know what I'm doing. Horseshit. Batman versus Superman. Poor Martha. Horseshit. Justice League it was four hours. His Justice League was four hours. Oh, my God.
1: I still didn't watch it. Did you it's,
2: watch it? I did, and I the whole time I'm like, all right, this scene should have ended, and it keeps playing out for another minute and a half, and you're like, okay, Oh my Did god. Did you watch both
1: of them? Because I didn't yes. watch either of them. I've seen both. Which is better. You have I to pick one. I, you I, can't I, say both are bad. You have to pick one. I I don't, I mean, I
2: like the direction that he had gone in in his four-hour version. Like, like I like the design of Steppenwolf better than Whedon's okay. version, but Whedon's version was watchable. Like Snyder's was not watchable. It was it, If I'm gonna spend four hours of my time doing something, I will pick Lint out of my belly button for four hours and watch his film. Like because I I know I'm getting something out of it at the end. (laughs) There's a job well done.
1: I'm getting Lint. Yes, it's so much more precious. It's that
2: satisfaction of a job well done. That's what it is. This is
1: so much more precious than that experience. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's
2: that's how bad of a of a I I just I can't stand his films.
1: Uh, Oh,
2: now we're going to stay in the uh, uh Disney vein a bit because okay. so at the Oscars uh that happened well we missed an a podcast um Harrison Ford um met up with the actor who is short round who won an academy award for for everything everywhere all at once um i just forgot his name um Uh, it's right on the tip of my mind right on the tip of my mind come on what's his name what's his name come on okay uh K-Hu kwan um who was short round in uh indiana jones and the temple of doom and so we had said if we were to do a movie if you know indiana jones and the the dial of destiny is that what it's being called indiana it's jones right. and kathleen kennedy in her last crusade um if we got to write a movie for a short round what would it be so I'm gonna first throw you know pass this ball to you if you had to write a short round movie because now that he's back in acting and won an Oscar he's got some clout Harrison Ford always had clout uh what would the movie be about go if
1: I was gonna direct it mm-hmm. okay so the story happens at like 39 years after the Temple of Doom okay So, you know, Richard Nixon, President of the United States. And this is a thing where I I would not make him the new Indiana Jones. So I would probably title the movie something like how the original was Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, name it after something. Without the Indiana Jones. Like it's not like passing the mantle. It's not doing anything. This is just an adventure story. I was thinking, first of all, I thought it would be fun to do some weird, crazy alien stuff, but the crystal skull <laughs> already ruined that. But um one thing from the Dallas hmm. Destiny is that apparently with the script synopsis, is that Indiana Jones is of concerned that a bunch of nazis have come over with project paperclip to become part of nasa i like that because i was trying to think what would the villains be so you try and pull in any sort of sort of whatever terrorist groups that would be happening during that year like around 1969 but you know you want the nazis to be involved nazis involved in the american government and I would involve the, uh, you know, that first warehouse shot with all the mm-hmm. artifacts that have been collected over the time. So, some sort of Nazi terrorist plot to remove some artifact. I was thinking it has to be religious. So, I would do the Seal of Solomon. Mm-hmm. That's something, you know, that you could pull from because uh, it has that sort of Christian vibe and the mystical. So, short round would be basically tracking down these guys, you know, wearing the baseball cap and all that kind of stuff. And he would be basically Indiana Jones from The Last Crusade. Okay. He'd be playing that character. So, he's on the adventure. He's doing the mission. And Harrison Ford would be the Sean Connery of the story. So, he's the mentor. He's the wizard. So, they've both been kind of tracking this thing down but indiana jones you know he's either trapped or stuck or the nazis caught him figured out it was a fake moon landing whatever so from there the two of them join forces and then get the seal of solomon so that's essentially you know like the loose plot that i would go with okay So do a bunch of jump around all over the world, you know, different locations in the same way the original series had, you know, the supporting cast, you know, bring in a new group of supporting cast, help them out, you know, and have a baseball game in there. (laughs) There'd have to be a baseball game. At some point in the story, there'd be a baseball game. So that's my loose plot. All right. What have you
2: got? All right, so I set mine in 1976, um, because I figured out when the movies took place, and then ages of the actors and characters, and then so that they would be playing age-appropriate characters. So I said, 1976, an aged and retired Dr. Indiana Jones is attending a museum exhibition that features a rare diamond, the Peacock's Eye, which is the diamond he lost in Shanghai in Temple of Doom. Um, and while there, he meets up with a gems finder, a doctor Juan Lee, and after an exchange of talking about why he, you know, how he found the, the the diamond, why he got into that, and you know, pulls a battered old baseball hat out of his out of his jacket and says, "Fortune and glory," and that's when Jones realizes that this is short round. Short round, kind of following in his footsteps to archaeology and and you know, treasure hunting, and at this point, Jones was under the impression that. Um, Short round died in occupied Shanghai during World War II, so he had no clue that he was alive. Um, so this is where Short Round says he was. You know, Doctor Jones ex- inspired him to take up archaeology and treasure hunting. And while at the exhibition, a heist happens, and despite his advanced age, Indy's able to subdue one of the the you know one of the the, the thieves. But the gem is stolen, and Short Round says he knows who did it, but. And he really wants indy to join him but India at this point's like you know i'm glad my legacy is being continued but i can't do this until he learns that the person in charge of this whole thing um is an old nazi adversary a uh, colonel ernst poe you know the the major toe of the guy who burned his hand it's his older brother um and that a bunch of nazis had fled to argentina Oh, that's
1: the, good. I like the Argentina thing. Yeah.
2: So, this is why they get to bounce to the different areas. And what they've been doing is they. I'm adding Argentina
1: to mine. Just saying.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. and by the way, the 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 name of the movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark, Fortune and Glory. Or, or sorry, no, it was Indiana Jones, Fortune and Glory, was it? So, that's because that's the whole key between the two, was Fortune and Glory. So, um, and what they're doing is they're assembling the armor of Gudai, who was the Chinese god of war. The Phoenix Gem is one of the pieces they need. What the idea is if they can assemble the armor, whoever wears the armor can command armies of both spirits and live people without hesitant, like no question. They're trying to start the Fourth Reich in Argentina. So, this is where, you know, Indian, you know, because Indy still, you know, hates Nazis, of course. And he hates Who doesn't? Yeah, who doesn't? And Except Nazis, so, yeah so this is where they're going to bounce between they're going to go to china to try to stop the 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 stealing of of you know other artifacts that make up this armor the the armor the helmet the sword whatnot and then go to argentina where we're going to have a bunch of nazis um and that was my initial premise of it so this is how we get short round and indiana jones together we have the nazis we have a, a religious artifact as well. Plus, we have an artifact from Indy's past—something he lost, you know, on the dance floor of the club Obi Wan. So, yeah,
1: nice. I've decided mine is called Raiders of the Seal of Solomon. Okay. So yeah, mine's uh, That's a callback.
2: Mine's Indiana Jones and for, Indiana Jones, Fortune and Glory. So, and from there, they can decide to move ahead. And do like a, a short round inspired film or end it. So, and this yeah. way, Harrison. I love Ford...
1: the Argentina connection. That's amazing because of all the stuff that's been even showing up in the news lately. Yeah. Where, you know, someone passed away and whoa, there's. Turns all out these they were Nazi, Nazi. Artifacts. And yeah, yeah. that's great. I yeah. Like so,
2: that. I, that was the one I was like, where would it Because he's got to fight Nazis. Because, yeah. I mean, that's why, like, when he was fighting the Russians, I was like, uh, just kind of weak. So yeah, it's got to get back to the Nazis. That way they can be happily killed and everyone's happy. So yeah. And go to Argentina and do it. So yeah. So yeah, that was my idea for the the short round Indiana Jones film.
1: We should make it.
2: I'll get right on that.
1: Let's get that funded. (laughs) All right. So
2: last thing I want to talk about uh, is Dungeon Dragons Honor Among Thieves?
1: I have not seen it. I have heard some things about them emasculating all the characters, they which didn't. really triggered me. I'm going to. I, so, gonna... I heard some reviews that said it was actually pretty good. From I'm going to say this: critical people, the
2: so-called emasculation is just that. I think it was just someone trying to, you know, throw a a sound bite out and and get some some you know clickbait. Bullshit. That's all it was. Um.
1: So it was good. It was good. It was. It was. Was it great? Was it, was, it amazing? It was. Did I spend two hundred dollars to take my family?
2: Anyone who's a and fan, take them. Because okay. this is this is the D D movie that we should have gotten long ago. Um. So this one takes place in the Forgotten Realms. Um. And they are very faithful with the material in terms of um so the main characters are you got chris pine plays a bard he was a former member of the harpers um and he quit the harpers when his wife was killed by minions of a red wizard of Thay that he had brought in so already we're pulling in people michelle rodriguez is a barbarian th- th- this is the part that kills me is it's like they they pulled uh a basement dnd group for names because it's like Olga Kilgore. If there was not a more fifteen-year-old-inspired name <laughs> I've ever heard for a barbarian, um, then we have uh, Justice Smith plays Simon Armar. He's a, a half-elf wild mage who believes is to be a descendant of Elminster. Um, there's a tiefling druid. Um, there's a paladin who doesn't stick around for long, but he is he is from Thay. Um, and there's this whole backstory with him, why he's got a little brow tattoo. Um, and then Hugh Grant is basically Forge Fitzwilliam, this great con man guy. Um, anyways, the movie is, it's a fun, it, it feels like you're, you're, you know, playing a module. It really does. It has that kind of like setup, story, um, scripted events, unscripted encounters, you know oh, well, let's bring a party together how are we going to do it oh here's a, a chance encounter here's adding someone to the bar it's, yeah, it feels like a module it really does in a good way in a great way okay you could almost i swear the theaters should play a soundtrack of dice rolling on a table every once in a while <laughs> and yeah and give everyone like two liter bottles of coke to, to have on. like you know that's what they hand you um Cause and a pizza, everyone like they a pizza. box of pizza, box of pizza, and a two liter Coke, and the sound of rolling dice on a table, and you'd, you'd swear you're like, oh my god, I'm 15 again playing D D in, in a basement, um, and then and, and a smell of old socks or 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 basement mildew to fill the theater, and it it would take all the people right back, um, the the effects are really nice, the dialogue isn't isn't really hackneyed, I mean. Chris, a lot of people were, I know in the, the the press were complaining that Chris Pine's character um isn't like the manly man. He's a bard. They're never the manly man. You know, they they pull out the loot every chance they fucking get before they pull out a sword.
1: That's fair but, enough.
2: Yeah. So when you when they do have the paladin, he I mean the the guy who plays him, it plays it like a paladin who is like very you know, noble and straightforward. And you're like, you do not get irony or sarcasm. But when it comes to a fight, holy fuck do they kick ass. Like just there's a, a whole stack of ass to be kicked and they they do it. And it's just like this is why paladins are, you know, combat gods. Um the the druid, you know, the the shape changing and polymorph. I mean it all works out. It's all really well done. But there are so many fun callbacks to D that any player is gonna going you're gonna instantly notice when certain names or a lot of background stuff. When you see someone like testing out a sword, and and there's like the rack of swords, and then the price is like 10 GP, and you're like, oh, because you know they're not gonna call it gold pieces; they're gonna call it GPs. And and there's even a, a side like they're walking through a crowd, and someone's like, oh, my HP's low. You know, this t- kind of shit that, that players would say to one another. Um, and a lot of the monsters, they talk about beholders. There's, there's, you know, there's a, at one point there's a couple of rust monsters fighting over a piece of like rusted pauldron. They're just like pulling it back and forth like rats trying to chew at this, this piece of metal. Um, there's a displacer beast and you get to see how a displacer beast power works, like why there's kind of shift it off to the side so you're swinging at the illusion while the real one's ripping you to shreds. A gelatinous cube. I mean, life is grand. There is, uh, what's his name? There's a dragon in the Underdark, a red dragon who can't leave because he's too fat. He's a main main player, uh, uh, Themberchard. He's in the movie because they have to go to the Underdark to retrieve something and there he is and he's a pudgy red dragon. He's, he's, he's chonky like he's he, he he's been living the good life um but yeah he's never getting out because he's he's too fat to, to squeeze out of any hole um but they you know they they pull characters from the from the lore like sastam who is was a zookier of from fey who's like he is the so all of the rulers of fey are wizards from a, each from a different school of magic. Sastam is necromancy. So he's a lich. And he has this big plan of turning people to undeads so he, he can control. And that's part of one of the plots of, the, of this whole movie. And it's nice to see them pull that lore and bring it all together. My favorite part in the whole film, though. They get to this big... They're in Neverwinter and they have like the big colosseum with the maze. And it's... Adventuring teams to get through the maze, and you you look to the right, and there's an adventuring team. You know, there's a dwarf, and there's a you know, the couple of fighters and the spellcaster, and you look to the left, and there's the crew from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon with <laughs> accurate costumes. There's the Ranger, the Cavalier, the Barbarian, the, the thief, the acrobat. They're all there. The only thing they didn't have was uni the unicorn. And when I first saw it, I was like, huh? Because it's, yeah, it's like the, the gold armor with the shield and the ranger with his studded, green studded leather armor. And it was just like, that's the, that's the crew from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that's them. And it's not like it's a blink and they're gone because at one point you encounter them like the, the main characters encounter them like face to face, like they're hiding in a cage and like, yeah, you can really check out the costumes and they are completely accurate from the cartoon. And it's like, thank you. Thank you. That's a nice little bit of fan service for anyone who was like, you know, a little older and saw that cartoon back in the 80s.
1: I love fan service when it's done right. And this was
2: done perfectly. You can see clips of it online. And yeah, the costumes are dead on. It's so good. Like they even got the hairstyles right. Like it's it's perfect. Um, But I had so much fun watching this movie. I really did. It was, if I didn't, if I wasn't already part of a couple of campaigns, I would be itching to either play or start up a campaign like tomorrow, sort of thing. Like it's, it really pushes you into that whole D and D mindset. As I said, if they had the smell of a of, of a moldy basement, box pizza, two liter, and the sound of rolling dice in the theaters, it, I, I would I'd be fifteen all over again. Like it's it's such a fun movie to watch. I do recommend. So it was good. It was good. If you're a D&D fan, you're going to have a lot of fun.
1: Okay, what about
2: a normie? A normie, you're probably going to miss some of the jokes, but it's explained well enough that you're going to understand what's going on. You might not be, like when they talk about, old oh, they're waiting for one of the judges who's an Croa, and you're like, I don't know what that is, and then it's like, you know, one of the, the, the winged player classes. Or, or player races, and you're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. If you didn't know what that race was from playing the game, you just had to wait to see for to see it to see what it, what, what they were talking about.
1: Okay, but the movie holds up. It and does. If, it, if, it does. If you it, don't know anything. If you, you don't
2: know anything about D D, you're still going to have a fun time watching it. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's. I liked it enough that I would recommend D D fans see it, and that. If you know someone who likes fantasy films, definitely go see it. If someone's kind of on the fence, like don't know D&D and they don't, they're kind of like, eh, about, you know, fantasy films, wait for for it to come to streaming.
1: But you're still going to have a great time. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. I'm interested now.
2: It was because i i went in with after reading some of those articles about oh they emasculated the characters on purpose and then and then you get in there and you're like no they didn't they they really didn't okay that's good they're they're true to their classes so like the bard is not going to be standing up and like beating people up or right. swinging a sword he's going to be playing a lute he's going to be using his gift of gab to defuse the situation
1: yeah and that's in character so.
2: that's 100% in character the that's the good, the man. the the sorcerer is kind of like a glass cannon physically. He's not going to put up his books dukes and fight anybody. He's going to rely on the spells, even though he's not so good at them. the The two who are the most combat, well, the two in the party who are combat oriented, are the female barbarian, uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character, and the tiefling druid when she shapeshifts shape, shape into an owl bear. And when you see the owl bear, honestly, as as a kid playing D anD. D someone said Owlbear, bear and you saw like the really terrible drawing in like second edition of what an owl bear looks like or from first edition this is what an owl bear is supposed to look like this now if i'm setting if i'm dming and setting players against an owl bear this is a, a, a credible threat um it's not the the owl bear from from D&D second edition um because yeah that one was just oh um yeah uh here i'll even pull it up if i can i'll share the screen for those of you who uh okay share screen here we go uh there we go so those of you who can see it um here we have the owl bear, like the side view it, it scares <laughs> nobody it really didn't like if 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 you were scared of this image, you shouldn't be, um, because it's it is beyond terrible. Like no one is scared of that. No one. If you are, you have other issues. But the owl bear in the film, wow, like very impressive. Um, this is what an owl bear should look like, and. Yeah. So things like that, that, you know, it, it makes me want to bring owlbears into the campaign. Um, so yeah, as a, the, the, the effects, the way they did them. Um, it's just great. It really is. So yeah, I, as a lifelong D and D fan, I had a great time in this movie saying that as the other D and D films that were out there are just absolute trash. Like, just no redeeming qualities whatsoever. They in my mind, they don't even exist anymore. This is the only D&D film
1: that exists. So, for a bunch of kids who are newbies to D&D... They would have a fun they time. Get, they've, if, if, they've,
2: if they've read the player's handbook, at least some of the character races and character classes, they're going to have a fun time. So, yeah. And right. there's... Some fun spells and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely a, a movie to go see.
1: Because since I haven't been given any money to Marvel lately, I don't have yeah. some to spend. Yeah, there you We've go. We've been watching John Wick. We've been doing that. We've do, been doing a little mini marathon over the weekend. Uh, getting oh, ready for John Wick. Youngest, yeah, my youngest kids haven't seen it before, and they've heard of it. They know it. He's in <laughs> Fortnite. <laughs> you know, they've seen the clips. Yeah. So, yeah, she, well, who is my wife, you know, Mrs. Kitchen, decided she wanted to watch a movie and her movie wasn't on. So it's like, OK, we're watching Juddwick. Really? With the family? Everyone? OK, let's which, do it. Which ones have you seen? One and two. All right. We did a marathon. One and yeah, two. Three is disappointing. Three is awesome for the first 20 minutes.
2: And then it becomes very and, disappointing.
1: And then, yeah. because I'm hoping four is better. theater. Everybody says that 4 is as good as 1. Oh, well then, I mean... And originally, 2 was my favorite. But after watching them back to back... I still like 1. One, was... I like 1 better. Yeah, now 2 has better action sequences. Mm-hmm. It's like more condensed. There's more stuff going on. But I'd never watch them back to back.
2: But 1, I think, pairs you for the character. But that, that whole speech... That the crime lord gives of Baba Yaga and how he once watched John Wick kill three men in a bar with a pencil. And when he finishes that and you look back to the son who just realized, I beat that guy up and killed his dog and stole his car. And you're like, and he says to his son, he's gonna come for you. Yeah. And and and, and like, well, I, I can finish the job. I was like, no, you don't understand. He's going to come for you. And it was just like you get chills, you're like, wow this guy is going to die and it's not going to be pretty. And yeah, it's, it's it's like someone handing you a piece of paper that says you'll be dead by tomorrow. And you're like, and the uh,
1: fact that the father is like, I mean, we're all dead anyway. So I'm going to sacrifice you, my son. Yeah. It's like, you're already dead. And, and I mean, when he says to the, like, you know, sit like,
2: you know, I want you to assemble a team of men. How many do you, ha- how many do you want? How many do you have? Send them all. And they all go to John Wick's house. And and I, I like the cop. He's like, Oh, uh, you, you busy, John? Uh no. Uh, have a good night.
1: Yeah, it's like you working again?
2: Yeah, and there's they called the cleaning service.
1: Oh, 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 geez, what did he say? It, it was something funny. It's like, I'm just cleaning some things up, or I'm just dealing with some stuff. Like, he doesn't say he's working again. Yeah. And and the cop is just like,
2: have a good night. And you can see bodies behind him, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, have a good night. Yep, you're all good, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, first John Wick, I, I just saw it again recently. Um, and then I saw two because it was on TV. I three was playing, but I was like, I'm not watching it because I can't because it's terrible,
1: man. For three, it was like a roller coaster ride. We went into the theater, just me and my wife, we sat down. The movie started, it's like woo, it was such good action. And then, yeah, like around 15, 20 minutes in, it's like, oh, I mean, it's still going, but mm-hmm. I'm not really feeling anything anymore. By the end, you're like, his desert getting his, yeah, he's in the desert getting his finger cut off. I'm like, Why? I'm kind of confused. And then it's and credits. I'm like, huh. Well, the beginning was fun. Yeah. But the reviews of people that I've heard so far say, this is like tied with the best or okay. second best. So I want to see it. Yeah, I'll. I'll. At some point,
2: I know I will see it. I have heard a lot of great reviews for uh, Skarsgård there, who's the the marquee. They're saying it's almost like a a unmakeuped Joker. In terms okay. of the, some of the smiles that he gives and the some of the plans sort of thing, oh, that's um, fun. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a very polite, no makeup Joker, which a lot of people are like. He should be the next Joker. <laughs> nice. and he's already been Pennywise, so I don't know. Um, yeah, so I've I've been hearing great things about it, but I had to choose between that and D and D, and I was like, I'll I'll go see D D first. Um, and uh, yeah, but I definitely want to see John Wick four. But I did hear this was, for a while, this will be the last one. Because um, Keanu Reeves has said he's stepping away from the character for a bit. So, I don't know. That's all I know. I don't know why. Could be, you know, just, it's a lot of physical training to, to be John Wick. So, yeah. <sighs> and Donnie ends in it. So, that's got to be good. So, do we have anything else? Anything coming up? other than hopefully John Wick. So hopefully by the next time I see you, you're going to have either seen John Wick or seen Dungeons & Dragons. Hopefully. What hopefully. are you going to do with yourself on Sundays now you no longer have uh, brood to watch?
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... um You're going to be at loose ends. You're going to be was... like, what do
2: I do with myself? Yeah. What do I do with
1: Between... myself? Because there was always a conflict with Bruto and Sunday morning hockey. And both of them are early. So it's like, okay, well, we got to wake up early enough to watch the show and then do the hockey. And now it's like nothing. It's like, I guess sleep in.
2: <laughs> I feel unfulfilled. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that, uh, Roy will probably talked about Quantum Leap. I haven't been following it, I didn't care enough to i know it restarted its second half of its first season but i was like i i don't i can't bring myself to care i really can't
1: i didn't watch one of them so troy if there's a reason to watch it let us know that'd be good not i'm not going to so i
2: think we're going to end it here uh i'm going to say thanks for listening or if you're doing it on youtube thanks for watching and uh
1: yeah. And if none of those, thanks for the moral support. Good job. So I guess we'll give a collective goodbye. Let's do that. Nine, three, two, one. Collective, collective goodbye. goodbye. See, Tonight. we don't need you, Gavin. Yeah.
0: This has been Geeking Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same spider channel, may the force be with you, and thanks for tuning in.